lesson learned for a new pastor. You roll your sleeves up before you baptize somebody. Not after. If you don't have humility in this job, what do you have? Okay. Hope you'll join with us this morning. We're going to be looking in Colossians this morning. I was going to tell you where that's at in your Bible, but you laughed at me, so you're on your own. Figure it out. <laughs> you go to First Thessalonians, you went too far. So, but what an incredible thing baptism is. Amen? It's an incredible reminder of what God does for us and who he is. And I don't know that there's anything in the life of a church that gets us as excited as watching this happen. And knowing what is behind it. Knowing that this is a symbol of the change that's happened inside of us. Of the change that's happened to that person's heart. And I hope this morning that as you watched Nick um, and watched him be baptized and heard a little bit of his testimony. And I know there's much more to that. And if you ever have time, you need to talk to Nick a little bit. But I hope as you watch that, you remembered your own baptism. You remember that point in your life when God did something miraculous inside of you and saved you from yourself, saved you from your own sin. And then you were able to stand before God's people and be baptized into the family, be baptized as a symbol of that radical change that's happened inside of you. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing reminder. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I know when I've it was probably maybe a month after um, Melissa and I came here, we did a, a sermon on baptism, but that sermon was very academic. It was to lay out some basic truths about the Word of God to show us why we, why we have baptism, why it was instituted by the Lord, to show us why we do immersion and why it's important to the symbol of the death and resurrection. We did, we talked about that grace isn't imparted by baptism, but rather it's a, just a symbol of what is inside of us. And so we, we kind of took an academic look that morning uh, at, the, at the symbolism of baptism, at the act of baptism. This morning I want us to take a look at the reminder of baptism and to rejoice this morning with Nick and with each other about what the Lord has done. All right, hopefully by now you found Colossians chapter 2. Um, we're going to be reading from 9 through 15, so if you would stand, we're going to honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 9 this morning. It says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him or in the cross. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. We thank you so much 
for how you love us. We thank you so much that though we were dead in our trespasses, though we were dead in our sin, though we had this record of debt against us to a holy God, that you in your grace, you in your wisdom, you in your sovereignty stepped in to human form in Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, and paid the debt for us. Father, thank you for your victory and how we get to share in it. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would be reminded of who you are, who we are, and of the promise that lies before us. May it change us. May it transform how we act. May it transform who we are. Lord, as we experience your spirit, as we experience and interact with your word. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak, not me, not anyone else, Lord, but that you would speak through your spirit and through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the things that I find amazing about God is how he continually interacts with his people. We see it throughout the entire scriptures as God continually looks into his creation and speaks to individuals. It happens from Adam all the way through Revelation as God continually interacts with his people. And much of that interaction comes in the way of covenants. Covenants are agreements, they're promises to his people. And one of the things that we normally see that is is almost always a part of those promises, a part of the covenant, is God's signature on those things. He in most cases, does not just give his word, but rather he also gives us a physical reminder, a physical reminder of what that looks like. And those reminders do three things. They remind us of who he is in that moment. As we see that physical reminder, as we see that signature on his promise, we're reminded of who God is. Second, we're reminded of who we are. What is our part in this covenant? What is our part in this agreement? What has happened to us? And thirdly, we are reminded of the promise itself. We're reminded of that thing that God said he would do if we would also hold up our end. And oftentimes what he would do no matter what because God is sovereign and he doesn't need us. And so I want us to look this morning, we're going to look at baptism and we're going to look at these three things. But first, I want us to look at some examples of this. I want us to look at some examples of how God signed his promises, even in the Old Testament. First, we're going to see the rainbow. We're not going to look at all of these verses, so you might want to write them down and maybe go back and look at these stories yourself. But the first one we're going to look at is in Genesis 9, 12 through 13. If you don't know this story, God looks into human history. And what he sees is that man has become ever increasingly sinful, that man has become evil, that man is destroying all that is around him, and God says, enough, I'm done. But there is this guy named Noah, and Noah follows after the Lord. Noah has loved God with his heart. Noah has obeyed the things that God has put into his life. And so God tells Noah, start building an ark. I know it's never rained before. I know you don't understand what a flood really is. But I want you to start building this huge boat. And Noah obeys. Like, for me, that would have been a huge step of faith. Like, you want me to build what? Out of what? For what? 
But Noah doesn't question. Noah launches into it. He gets mocked. He gets shamed. And eventually he finishes. God brings him all of the animals. They load them into the ark. He loads his family in. I love that verse where it says God shut the door behind them. Talk about being sealed in. God takes and he shuts the door behind them. And then the rain comes, the water comes, and the waters cover the earth. Eventually the water subsides. The ark lands. Noah and his family and all the animals come out of it. And in that moment, in that time, God makes a promise to Noah and his family that God will never again destroy the earth with water the way he just had. And he makes this covenant, this promise to them. And then he signs it with a rainbow. I don't know about you, but rainbows continue to marvel. I, I just, I love rainbows. Like, and I think some of that comes from my dad. My dad was a man's man, okay? My dad's tough. Like, I see him interact with my wife, and I'm like, who are you and what have you done with my father? Like, because he, he fawns over her all the time. Like, I'm like, dude, she's my wife. Back off, okay? But when I was growing up, he was a man's man. He was tough. My dad was shot when he was 13 with 12-gauge shotgun. It went in this part of his thigh, came out this. He has nothing on this side of his leg. How he walks is a miracle. And every time we would get hurt, you know, you'd be riding your bike and skin up your knee, and you'd have blood, a little bit of blood on your knee, and you'd be laying there crying. Dad would walk over and go, oh, you're fine. And I would look up and go, yeah, I guess I wasn't shot. I'd limp away. It was kind of nice when I was in the car accident and broke my neck because then he would say, oh, what's, what's your problem? And I'd rub my head and be like, I think we're even now, old man. Like, but he was a man's man. But it always amazed me that when there was a rainbow, the car would get pulled over. Like when there was a rainbow, this man's man would stop and go, man, isn't that awesome? And as a little kid, part of me was like, yeah, sure, it's colors, Dad. Like, we're supposed to like that. Like, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense until I was later. And Dad helped remind me of this story, that through all the storms in our life, through all the troubles in our life, through all the difficulties that my dad had faced, through all the things that he had gone through, that rainbow was a reminder to him that God was powerful, that God was present, and that God remembered his promises. And I just stood in awe of this man's man who was in love with rainbows. And so too, we're reminded by the rainbow, even today, though it was a signature on a promise made so long ago, we're reminded even today of God's power, of his majesty, and of how he keeps his word. The next one I want us to look at, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but God in Genesis 17 signs his signature with the act of circumcision. You'll remember this story. Abraham was in a land of earth, and God goes and calls Abraham and tells him to follow him. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He doesn't tell him what the outcome is going to be. He just says, follow me. And so Abraham picks up all that he has. He picks up all his family. He even drags along this guy named Lot, who's a, a relative of his as well, and they start marching into the unknown. And while they're going around to these different places, God continually blesses Abraham, and Abraham continually shows his faith and his obedience to God. And eventually, God makes this promise to Abraham that Abraham is going to be the father of a great people, that Abraham is going to have more descendants than there is sand on the beach, which is kind of funny because Abraham was an old man at this point, and so was his wife, and at this point, they had had no children. And so it took a lot of faith for them to trust in that. 
but with that covenant, with that promise that he would be, that God would be the people, the God of Abraham, and that Abraham's people, Abraham's descendants would be his people, he sets up this institution of circumcision. And it was a reminder for all of Israel from there on after of who they served of this God that had made this promise to Abraham, a promise that at the time did not make sense, and then how God blessed him and just multiplied him beyond belief. It was a reminder of who they were, that they were descendants of this man of faith, this example for them to follow. And it was a reminder of the promise to come, of a land that God had promised them that flowed with milk and honey, a land that was far better, far greater than what they could imagine, a land where they could find rest, a land where they could find security. And I have no doubt that there were days when they were in slavery in Egypt, when this people had seen people die or be born and die in only knowing slavery, that they wondered about where God was, and every time a baby boy was born, every time they performed that act of circumcision, every time that promise was signed, they were reminded of the promise that still lay before them. They were promised of their home. They were promised of, they were reminded of the promise of land, of security, of safety. They were reminded of the hope that lay before them. The last one, the last example I want us to look at real quick is that of the Sabbath. You can look later at Exodus chapter 13, 12 through 17. God is laying out the law to Moses. Moses has taken the people of Israel. They, are, they have escaped slavery in Egypt. They're at the Mount Sinai receiving the law of God as he codifies all that they needed to do to follow him. And in that process, God establishes the Sabbath. He establishes this day of rest. They can work for six days, but on that seventh day, they needed to stop. And they needed to rest. And it was a reminder that God had created in six days and then had rested. It was a reminder that their world did not revolve around themselves, but rather their world was to revolve around Him. Their world to, was to look to him as their sustainer. Yes, they were to work. Yes, they were to provide. Yes, they were to take care of their families. But they were reminded on the Sabbath that ultimately it was God who provided. Ultimately, it was God who was creator. Ultimately, it was God who was sustainer. And they were to rest and remember that. They were to remember who they were as created beings not as someone that could take all the glory for themselves. They were reminded again of the promise that God would shine a light through them. And so we have these three covenants, these three promises that have been given, that were given to the old, those in the Old Testament, those people of God, the Israelites in the Old Testament, and they were reminders for all this time. But now we live in an age of the New Testament. We live in the age of the new covenant, of the new promise, that is not just for the Israelites, but rather it's for all of us. It's for all people that anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That all of us, though we have sin in our lives, though we have broken that relationship with God, that if we will ask for forgiveness and make Him boss, make Him Lord, that we will be saved. 
And we step into this new covenant where he is our God and we are his people. And God gives us two symbols, two reminders of that. One is the Lord's Supper and the other is baptism. And so this morning, I want us to look at three things that we talked about earlier. I want us to look at how baptism reminds us of who he is. I want us to look at how baptism reminds us of who we are. And I want us to look at how baptism reminds us of the promise. First, we were reminded of who he is. Baptism reminds us that he, that God is holy. We're reminded that God cannot deal with sin. One of the verse that we're probably going to spend the most time out on in the passage that we're dealing with is there in verse 13, or 12 through 14, really. I want us to look at 14 real quick, though. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In this time, in this age, that this was written, it was not uncommon that if you owed money or you owed something to someone else, that there would be a record, there would be a list of the debt that you owed that person. It was a legal IOU. We understand this. We still do this today, don't we? We have contracts and that are signed and sealed, and the reminders of the, what we owe someone else, whether it's the bank or the dealership or whoever it may be, we're reminded of this, and those have legal ramifications. Just as this did, if you didn't chose not to pay your debt, if you chose to try to get away with it, then prison was probably in your future. They would throw you in debtor's prison and, and you would be carted off. And you were, because you had sinned, you had broken a contract with another human being, with another person. But the problem that we face is that our debt is not to a human, but our debt is to an infinite God, an infinitely holy God. That we have sinned against him who is eternal. And the Bible makes it very clear that he can't stand sin. And because he is just, he must carry out the sentence. And we're reminded of that with baptism. As we must be buried, as our sin must be atoned for. But we're also reminded that with baptism that he is a God of grace. You see there in verse 9 of the passage that we read, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He stepped in to human history. He became the man, Jesus Christ, and though he was fully God and fully man, there was a need for him to come. There was a need for him to live a perfect life and then put his own self up as the sacrifice, as the payment for the debt that we could never pay on our own. And because he was fully God, he was able to pay in a finite time what we would take an eternity to pay. And it's out of his own grace that he does this. It's out of things that we don't deserve that he accomplishes this. Finally, baptism reminds us about who he is because it reminds us uh, that God does the work of salvation Look back there in Colossians with me. It says there in 11, In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, you... You had very little to do with your salvation. 
over and over again, the Bible makes it clear that we are dead in our trespasses, that we are dead in our sin. We've heard the term dead man walking. Okay, you know what that means? The, the sentence, if you murder someone else, depending on where you live and where, where that crime took place, it's somewhat likely that the state is going to take your life. And once that sentence is handed down, you are already a dead man. Yes, you're alive. Yes, you're breathing. Yes, you're eating. But the sentence has been passed, and it's just a matter of time before it's carried out. So too once were we, if we have never, if we are believers. If we are not believers, we're still walking in that path. Because we are sinners, because we have broken that relationship with him, because justice must be carried out, the sentence has already passed, and the sentence is death. The sentence is eternal separation from our creator, the lover of our souls. And we're reminded that in that moment, we are unable to rescue ourselves. That it is God who came. It is God who died on that cross. It is God who defeated death and the grave and our own sin that paid that penalty. It is God who opens our eyes so that we may see that great gift of grace that stands before us. It is God who provides the faith in us so that we may accept it. It is God who brings us alive by his power, Paul says. Baptism reminds us of all of these things. But not only does it remind us of who he is, it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us, like we said, that we were once dead. I hope this morning, like I said earlier, I hope this morning that you didn't just remember Nick's testimony. That you didn't just see Nick's baptism. But that you were going back, you were remembering your own baptism. You were remembering that time in your life when you yourself were dead in your sin. Do you remember that time? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're like me. I was baptized when I was six. I came and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ when I was six years old. The Lord blessed me with an understanding beyond my years. Why, I don't know. Why he chose to save me at that age, I don't know. It's something that later on in life that I would struggle with. But I don't remember a whole lot before that. I remember that I knew that I was a sinner. I remember coming to that understanding that I needed him. Maybe you don't have a testimony. Maybe you have a testimony completely different where you remember that you were walking one direction and then God, boom, and you walked the other way. But what an amazing thing to remember, man, I needed this too. And then to remember that we have been brought to life. Do you remember that moment? I can remember sitting with my mom and dad and asking God to forgive me, asking God, to be boss in my life, to take control. I have a friend of mine who has a radically different testimony. His testimony, he didn't really know a friend. He didn't really have anybody in his life who was a Christian influence over him. He had heard very little, but he was out. He was sitting on his tractor in a field, and it hit him like a ton of bricks that he realized that he was a sinner. He realized that he had done things wrong against the God who created him. And he realized what the consequence was that, for that. And he, right there in the middle of the field, stopped the tractor and just prayed, God, forgive me and please take control of everything that I am. And the next Sunday he shows up at church. He doesn't know anybody there. And he says, what's next? Like the dude had no idea. He just knew he had to be there. What's your story? If I came to you and asked, what's your story? How 
How did God save you? What, what would be your response? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember the excitement of that moment? Nick and I were talking this morning, and I'm sorry, Nick, if I share something here that you don't want me to, but we'll ask for forgiveness later. But we're standing there, and we're talking, and Nick's like, man, I'm happy, and I'm excited, and I'm nervous, and I don't even know. I'm a little bit scared. Like, this is crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I remember all that. As you enter into this new relationship with God, you don't know what that looks like. And all of those feelings that are going on inside of you. Do you remember that? Does that impact your life today? How many times have we sat and we've seen new Christians and they're on fire for Jesus and they want to tell everybody they know and we just kind of sit back and we go, eh, give them, you know, a couple months, we'll reel them in. And then they become like us. They become lumps in a pew who listen and we sing, but, you know, we kind of don't really sing because... We don't think we're very good singers, and so it's like, uh, Jesus loves me, amazing grace. And there's no joy in it because we've forgotten. We've forgotten what it means to be brought to life. We've forgotten that thing that happened to us. And that's why baptism is so awesome. That's why baptism is needed in the church. That's why we need people to step forward and do this because we need the reminder of what he did in our lives so that we can follow him with the excitement and the passion that he put in us at the beginning when he brought us to life. I was watching a show this week, and they were, it was one of those medical shows, and you know, like, of course the guy flatlines, and of course they get out the paddles, and they're shocking this guy, and they're shocking this guy, and eventually he sits up, and he's like, I'm alive! Like, and he's like, stop shocking me! And he's excited about it. He's like, okay, we got stuff to do. And it's like, man, that's the way we should be. We were flatlined. We were dead. We needed to be shocked back into rhythm. And we need to jump up and say, I'm alive. Let's get to work. We need baptism to remind us of that. Lastly, we see we were reminded that not only were we dead, not only are we now alive, but we are victors. There in verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him. That could also be translated in the cross. You go up a verse earlier, we talked about this earlier, that he in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against them with their legal demands, he set them aside, nailing it to the cross. We are victors. We are tri- we triumph with him. We share in all that he won for us. We need to live like that. Stop being defeated. Stop being woe is me. Remember what he did, what he already bought, what he already paid for. So we're reminded we're reminded of who he is. We're reminded of who we are, who we were and who we are now. And then lastly, we're reminded of the promise two things I want to share for you, and we'll, we'll go through these quick. First, we're reminded of the promise of salvation, the simplicity of it, and yet the depth of it. We're reminded, as I said at the beginning, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God doesn't make this complicated. God doesn't say you have to earn it. God doesn't say you have to be good enough. God doesn't say you have to take this step and this step and this step, but rather he says, Believe, call on my name, trust me with your life, and I will save you. I will rescue you. 
What a promise that we've been given. What a promise that many of us have already experienced. And then we have the promise of home. We talked about the Israelites that with Abraham there was a promise of people, but there was also a promise of a home, that promise of security, that promise of rest, the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey, of all that they could have dreamed of. And God, too, has set that promise before us. If you'd like, you can turn with me, otherwise I'll just read it for you. It's Matthew, or sorry, John 14. John 14, verse 1 says, Let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would, have, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may all be also. He has set before you a home, a promise of something greater than what we experience now. And we as believers need to be reminded, and this happens through baptism, that this is not home, that this is temporary, that we can look forward to paradise, that we can look forward to heaven. And we need to remember that. We need to act like it. There's something that I like to call the vacation anomaly or the missionary trip anomaly. This is what happens. See if you can identify with this. You're going on a two-week two week vacation or you're going on a two-week mission trip, and there's always like this one person that you're like, I'm not sure why they're here. Like, they're, they're coming with us, but like they really have never shown interest in missions before, and or they've never really, like, I just, I don't get it. Like, but they're here. I'm happy they're here. We'll see what happens. And then you land in this country thousands of miles away from where your home is. They get off the plane, and what happens? They become Billy Graham, like, overnight. It's amazing. They're like, hey, did you know about Jesus? I know you don't understand a single word I'm saying because you speak Spanish and I speak English, but you need to know about Jesus. Or they walk over to this person, and they're like, have you ever been born again? Malagasy has no word for born again. You say born again to a Malagasy, and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, but they don't care because they're on fire for Jesus, and you're standing in the background going, I swear that's not the same guy that got on the plane with me. Like, I've never heard him talk about Jesus. Yeah, he comes to church, but we, we talk about farming, and we talk about weather, and we talk about sports, but I don't, man, I don't remember a conversation about Jesus like this. Who is this guy? That's the mission trip anomaly. It happens when we remember that where we are is temporary and we don't care what people think because we're never going to see them again. So we just go out and we share the gospel the way we're supposed to here. And we get back from the mission trip and we're like, man, God did some awesome things and man, God did this and God did that and that was such the best time of my life. And two weeks later, we're right back to that same old person. We're like, ah, we're just here living life. We need desperately to be reminded by baptism that this is not home. That's home. This is not. This is temporary. That's eternal. And we need to decide today that we're going to obey Christ, who has done all these things for us, who has brought us to life as we are victors in him. We need to decide that today we're going to tell other people about it. So be it if they think we're crazy. So be it. Because for all of eternity, that's my home. And this is temporary. That's my home. And this is just a part-time place. In the 
the face of eternity, this is the two-week mission trip, folks. And I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. There are times when I look in the mirror and I go, what are you doing? Pick it up. Move it along. What a great thing this is. What a great thing to be reminded this morning of the God that we serve, of the holy God that we serve, of a God full of grace that we serve, of a God that saves us. To be reminded that we were once in sin, that we were once dead, and yet he rose us from the grave like he rose Jesus Christ, that he has made us alive. What a great thing baptism is to remind us that we are victors. What a great thing baptism is to remind us that this is not our home, that we have a place, a security that has rest for us ahead where we will experience life the way God created it to be. To remind us that we have a responsibility while we're here to obey him in all that he said, but most especially to make disciples baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This thing is awesome. We don't worship it, but man, what a reminder. What a reminder. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. They're just going to play a a couple of verses this morning. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had that moment in your life that we talked about where you've been made alive. This morning, you have an opportunity to accept his gift. And like I said, it's simple. All you have to do is say, God, I have screwed up. I have sinned. Will you forgive me? Will you be boss? Will you take control of my life? This morning, you have the opportunity to accept him and accept that truth. And you're going to experience joy. You're going to experience a freedom like you've never had before. I can't promise it's always going to be easy. But man, it's amazing. This morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're a believer. This morning, you just needed a reminder of what God did in your life. You needed a reminder of this moment to realize that everything else that happens doesn't matter. To realize that all of the other stuff that we get entangled with, all the politics, all of the politics of daily life, at times maybe even the politics of this place, none of it matters. To be reminded that The hardships and the trials are temporary, that we have a hope of home. Maybe you just needed a reminder this morning. I hope that this was that for you. This morning, I hope that you will praise him with all that you are. Praise him for who he is and what he's done in your life and the promise that he set before you. Let me pray with you, and then you respond the way that he's leading Father, we just come before you, and we are so incredibly thankful for you. We're so incredibly thankful for all the many ways, Lord, that you've acted in our lives. But most especially, we're thankful that you saved us, Lord, that we were dead, and now we are alive. God, we need that reminder, because it's so easy for me to slip back into the doldrums of life, to slip back into the ho-hum, to slip back into thinking that this is my home, and what, what I do here. What, what car I drive, or if I have a kayak or not, or what play, what is going on in my house, but somehow that has eternal significance. Lord, that, that's temporary. Lord, I needed this reminder this morning. I needed the reminder this week of eternal things, of my home and where I belong. I needed 
joy. I needed excitement again, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for establishing it. Thank you for signing your promises. Lord, may it be a consistent thing in our lives. Father, help us now to worship you. Help us now to respond to your word.